So you, you're currently in Nashville, correct? Yeah, Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, lived here three years this nice. month. Talk to me about that. Like what where did where were you born? Kind of what brought you to Nashville? I was born in Alabama, but most people don't know that. <laughs> nice. I definitely claim Texas. It's all I know. Yeah. Once I was like thinking, remembering memories, I was in mm -hmm. Texas. So I definitely claim Texas. Yes. Then uh, my mom is Mexican. My dad is South African. They mm -hmm. met at Auburn at Montgomery. He's a, got a tennis scholarship and Great. then moved to Dallas very quickly after that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I was just in Austin maybe a month ago and been in Dallas. I love it there. And, and I appreciate the, the awareness of saying that you were from Alabama and not claiming that. Cause if you are, you, you're not an Alabama fan, are you? No. Okay. I was gonna have yeah. to end end the uh, podcast on a minute and five. So, <laughs> just kidding. No, I I and I'm not a Cowboys fan. I just oh. no dog in any of those fights. Let's go. I, I I take it. So, Grant, tell us a little bit about you. Like, what what's your who who's Grant? I wanna I wanna get to know you more than at the end. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about practical, like what you do and kind of all the fun stuff you're part of. But tell us a little about yourself. Uh, about me, I would say pretty serious about unity, uh, mm -hmm. pretty serious about discipleship, getting to help with the church plan right now. I feel like one of our mutual friends is Noah Heron. Yes. And we're about two months into the church right now, Way Church in Nashville, mm -hmm. Tennessee. And three years into marriage, a cool thing that I'm getting to be a part of right now with my family is I don't, we don't have any kids, but my younger brother actually lives with us. And so does my niece, Danny, who's seven years old. And then my nephew, Anders, who's five years old. But they, unfortunately, my sister-in-law passed away a couple of years mm -hmm. ago or just a few years ago. And so we brought them in and they'll live with us six more months, but they've been with us kind of two years. And so wow, unique thing about just a lot of change all yeah. at once. I feel like God, we a lot of us have seen that in 2020 and beyond mm -hmm. of just uprooting new jobs. We probably didn't see coming new cities. We probably didn't see coming relationships, just new seasons for sure. And yeah. That's been one of the things that we thought would be, and was, has been hard at times, but yeah, going from no kids to, and new in marriage, new in a city, away from our family, new job. It, it was a lot to add one more thing, but it's been really cool to have maybe skip the baby face right away, just <laughs> yeah. go straight to kids that are walking, talking, yeah. thinking, being developed. And they're so fun. They've been, it's always, it's, it's cool to come home and someone's like so excited to like, these mm -hmm. kids like want to jump in your arms is like really awesome yeah well that's so special thanks for sharing that by the way that i appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that and even what a privilege of that like you it's so random but i think i met your wife at so i am a contractor work kind of connected with glue i know okay. that she just transitioned out of glue but we maybe six months ago at an on-site we were in line at a buffet and i got connected and i was like oh my gosh this is such a weird small circle yeah. which typical just church ecosystem like everybody knows everybody so so cool and even obviously noah gotta give noah a shout out he's been on the podcast two times by the way very very early on the podcast before i even knew what i was doing i don't i don't know what i'm doing still but a little bit more high production but love those love noah so much and maddie uh so so grant you just said that you maybe you said two years ago you moved to nashville or three three years yeah okay so talk to me about that move. Like what, what was the reason behind Nashville? 
obviously now it's kind of cool to see a church plant and I'd love to talk about that in a minute, but like why, why Nashville? Uh, it re- definitely was a job. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love Dallas a lot and actually had kind of a vision for my life to be there for the rest of my life. I mm-hmm. wanted to see what could happen if a young person at a young age committed to a city uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to uniting it, loving it, bringing the the leaders together from the marketplace, the next generation, churches, nonprofit. We all have an invested welfare, sorry, an invested interest in the welfare of the city. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, yeah, just kind of commit my life to it. And it it's kind of funny. Uh, you got a Christmas tree behind you right now. And there's a Christmas movie that's a classic called It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a main character, George Bailey. Uh, for a short season, my title with my nonprofit at the time, my 20s, was a George Bailey enthusiast uh, because go. I love this young character who was in the city. His dad had really built into the city a lot, and he had inherited the work his dad was doing. But mm. he actually really, like many young people, wanted to move and do bigger things in cooler cities. And really, his dream was to leave and go do something else. And I kind of felt like a lot of young people had the same desire of like, I can't wait till I can go and do something else somewhere else. We almost kind of feel like if we're going to make an impact, you've got to go do it somewhere else. And we're, we're a very transitional generation, mm-hmm. often church hopping, job hopping, relationship hopping. And yeah, I think I saw that and decided I want to be like him in the sense that he stayed. In his case, if you know the story, it's because he had to time after mm-hmm. time when he was a about to leave something would happen and he's like he made the right decision and the moral decision he took responsibility but he didn't want to do it uh, however at the end of his life he i'm kind of ruined the movie but it's like literally <laughs> decades old <laughs> it's all right at this point is he gets to see what his life was like if he was never born and he goes from a really hard time a difficult time where he's like i'm willing to give up and i don't even, i wish i never even lived to seeing man because you live this is all that has happened for your city, your entire community and friends and everyone is really struggling without your presence. And you had no idea how much one life, your life mattered. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, if he's doing that and he was like begrudgingly there, how much more if you were like actively, intentionally, prayerfully there. And so that that really was my hope for Dallas. And um, I don't think I, I failed. Um, I think I was all in where I mm-hmm. was in my city. And I try to now just be all in wherever I am, but I, I was surprised when getting the offer to join Gabe Lyons and Rebecca Lyons, who run at the time a nonprofit called Q, now changing the name to Think, to come join them. And that meant moving to Nashville. And I had not been given offers a lot in the past. Mm-hmm. And it would always be like, if it was in another city, it was like non-negotiable. I know it's not what I'm called to do. And this was the first time ever where I thought no, even said no. But as time went by, I felt a prompting that maybe I was needing to be more prayerful about it. And it ended up being something that I felt like God called me to. And I was met with immediate multiplication as I made that faith decision. Mm-hmm. I'm very confident that I'm supposed to be here, but yeah, that was why we, we, we made the move. Well, it's so special. And something that you said that I think is interesting, because I've talked about it a lot. I'm sure a, a lot of people within our ecosystem talk about transition and knowing when it's time to move or when it's time to transition out of a job or whatever. But what you said is at a young age, can you can you point back to a time when that was a, something inside of your heart or even in your mind where you say, I think I'm supposed to stay in Texas or stay in Dallas. Like this is I have a heart for this city. Like what maybe who or or what was something that helped put that 
fire in your belly for your city, but also the, the power and even awareness to think that not a lot of people do that. You know, there was a gathering called Movement Day that Tim Keller was a big part of. Mm -hmm. It's where I kind of got my launch speaking on the next generation or speaking at conferences. It's a funny story of me getting invited two days before to be on at the time a millennial panel. And nice. I really liked the vision. He, he, Tim was kind of popular for, I think it was called city centered vision, where it's like this idea that if you get business leaders, church leaders, nonprofit leaders, next gen leaders together, they all could create something like really beautiful in a city. Mm -hmm. And God tends to move through those channels a lot in cities and getting to see the them do that in New York for six to seven years and then replicate that and start gathering leaders in Dallas was really cool to kind of get a vision for the city, see the importance of the city and see the potential of the city's impact nationally. Like I do think a lot of not there's so many different. I don't know if you're familiar with the seven mountains. Uh, we tend to use a language of seven channels. There's business, mm -hmm. education. Uh, basically, if you're not familiar with like the idea of there's different channels of culture that yeah. really influence the heart of a nation or the heart of a group, the country, and it's business, education, government, family, arts and entertainment, media, church, and I might be missing one. But I just had not, I was kind of learning about that at the time. I was also seeing how Dallas, though, doesn't influence the whole nation on all those channels, but in the same way that I think. LA influences the nation when it comes to entertainment. I think mm -hmm. DC influences the nation when it comes to politics and government. I do believe Dallas is one of the top three, top five cities that influence the nation when it comes to spirituality and the church, especially. And, and I think marketplace is a big second there that, that maybe what we could do in Dallas could influence what happens in the church on a national level, not automatic. It's not everything mm -hmm. um, that happens there is going to happen everywhere else, but uh, you it's got to be in the top five of most yeah. traveled to city Agreed. that pastors and Christian leaders go to for conferences, mega church gatherings, gatherings mm -hmm. to say, hey, you guys are doing this. We want to learn more. or You're hosting this. And so it kind of was a hub for a lot of new ideas or just teaching uh, of what leadership could look like or success could look like. And so I just thought, man, if I could infuse discipleship, if I could infuse and pouring into the next generation missional living, some of these things that I thought were values that would matter a lot to the next generation that were maybe a little bit missing in the church that that actually had a multiplying effect there yeah. than if I lived in, I think, like Branson right. or Idaho. Yeah. Uh, not to say God's not doing it. I know hey. actually there's some great ministries in Branson. I just... Yeah. No, for sure. I, I There's understand. something about Dallas. Yeah. No, I mean, something that I've heard you say, I mean, even the last 10 minutes is, and I'm assuming these are core values in your family's kind of world is unity and discipleship so yeah as we even jump into that like what to grant like what is your definition or how how are you seeing even health indicators of man this this group this business this church this whatever has unity and what we obviously know where where there's unity god commands a blessing so i, I would assume those are some indicators of man there there's true unity in this but what is the grant definition of the immunity? Yeah. And you're talking about within a church, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, we can just say within the church. That's great. Well, if you're okay with it, I have a more clear idea of unity within mm -hmm. a city for yeah. the church. Um, Beautiful. I think, because I do think when God looks at, Josh, forgive me for not knowing this. What city are you in? 
I'm currently in Ventura, California, so about an hour north of Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Ventura, I'm in Nashville. Like, I believe that when God looks at the church here in Nashville, he looks at, like, the church. He doesn't mm-hmm. look at, like, belonging alone or church right. in the city alone. Or he looks at Ventura. Like, he's looking at the churches as the church. Mm-hmm. And so I do think there's a kind of a call on the church of Ventura, or the, the church of Nashville, the church of Ephesus. Uh, maybe that wasn't just one single church, but now there's more churches and I, I do think he sees us as one. And right. we definitely could do a better job of connecting and making sure that's one. So the big part of the question, I think over the last couple of years, as the church, I believe has done a really good job of prioritizing unity, moving mm-hmm. towards unity. Like if we were moving towards or away, I think the church is moving towards unity. And so I'm thankful for that. And, but then the question is what, yeah, like you said, what exactly is unity when you know it's happening? Is it this or is it that? Or people Mm -hmm. can always have different definitions and my stab at it. It's not the way it's a way is I actually have layers where I would believe there's first the worst layer, which is disunity. It's Mm -hmm. like, there's literally maybe divisions, tensions, jealousies within the city between different churches. They are throwing rocks at each other without maybe even really knowing each other. Or whatever. They're just, if Christians, especially people in the city, know there's strife or there's tension between these churches, even just regular gossip, that's mm-hmm. disunity. Then there is the next level of like, it's a little better. At least it's not we dislike each other, but it's like lack of awareness. But it's like we don't even know each other's existence. That's also a level of disunity because it's like it's like a long lost brother or a long lost mm-hmm. family member that they literally are your family. You just don't even know they exist. You don't Mm -hmm. even know anything about them. So of course you don't love them or care about them. You don't even know that it's more like probably indifference, but it's better than hating them, I guess. And your awareness, I would say. So there's like, oh, I'm more aware. And I think there does need to be a step. Uh, I've seen cities do this where they make the step from a lack of awareness to I'm more aware who God is using in my city. And that informs how we pray about what Mm -hmm. God's doing here. It informs how we just caring about God wouldn't just bless what he's doing in us, but that it's going to take more. And luckily there are others here. And so that's, that's, I think often crisis creates community and unity among the church. There's a lot of, you see a hurricane hit a city or you see even a shooting happening or something bad on that makes national news happen in a city. Churches tend to come together. And, yeah. And I don't want that to always be the case, but we are seeing a lot more because of the tension and the division in our nation, uh, more than I've ever seen in the last five to seven years, a lot of churches that maybe 10, 15 years ago didn't do as much together or didn't even know each other come Mm -hmm. together. And so that is where it becomes awareness. But it doesn't mean we love each other just because we've met or we're cool with each other. I think the next step would be like, we start prioritizing each other. That means like, oh, I'm, I don't want to just meet you when th- bad things happen. I want to prioritize proactively. I often say like, we, we don't do unity because of, of, of a shooting. And we, we want to do unity because like Christ told us to, so that when bad things, something happens, or when there is a, a, a tragedy or a crisis or a natural disaster, we can operate and respond in strength. And that requires prioritizing time together beforehand Mm -hmm. so that's where the prioritizing comes in and then the next i would say is like it's it's where it's like operational unity it's where you move from we're not just knowing each other or meeting up with each other we're starting to build something together some of the the my closest people we tend to help each other we tend to build things together we we dream together it's Mm -hmm. not again it's not responsive it's it's proactive it's like man if you're so good at this 
and I'm so good at this. Could you teach me how to do this? Could you teach you? Or what if we just did this together? But that's pretty beautiful when I see churches getting to that moment yeah. of kind of a operational unity because it is good, I believe, to do worship nights or prayer groups, um, getting leaders together. Often one of the problems is, again, I, I always say good, but then there's always a little bit more is a lot of churches actually are more familiar with each other and even meeting regularly than I think people in the congregations realize. But it's usually because it's just the staff or the senior pastors or the executive pastors. So they know each other, but the congregations don't even know. Hey, I had no idea my pastor meets with that pastor and that pastor regularly. So that's why I think the operational unity of our churches are doing this together. We're building this mm -hmm. together is really big. But yeah, and then the top is truly God has called us uh, to a pretty high bar of not just knowing each other, not just being cool with each other, not just meeting up with each other, but like loving each other. Like the world mm -hmm. would know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And so I, I get excited as we're continue to move up that that ladder to this like form of man. I love my brother pastor over here. I love them and, and my family knows them. They know my family. One of the things I love about Nashville is for 15 years, a lot of the church leaders have been gathering together. And one thing they do that I think is such an expression of proactive unity that isn't even responsive to a problem or creating something for the congregation. It's just so familial. Like it's, it's such family building is mm -hmm. they actually do a retreat, not a retreat, but a, um, they do a kind of like a field day, Josh, like where nice. they go to yeah. Amy Grant's farm, at least in the one time I, I've gone and uh, like a couple hundred of them come together and pastors and staff and they bring their families and wow. they like for several hours, like worship together, potluck, bring their food together, play games. Like it's just like a family. You would think you're at like a Thanksgiving type thing mm -hmm. in the summer. And it's pretty cool to see that they have been doing that for years where they're getting together wow. and really letting it, the relationships and the unity bleed down into Mm -hmm. He actually is doing a retreat for the first time. I, he's doing wow. it, but he's <laughs> natural. Wow. Just think we should prioritize time mm -hmm. together and your spouse is invited. You got a room and let's like it's spend incredible. more time together. And so that's what I'm excited about is seeing the church continue to move down that, that direction of unity. That's like, Hey, you're, you're my friend. You're my family. We don't always have to even do anything together. I just want right. you to know, like I'm in your corner. Yeah. Do you feel like this is kind of random, but do you feel like it needs to be designed? like? I, I, I've been in the church probably 10 years and I believe we're talking about humility. We're talking about truly serving another person and the ego has to obviously stop at the door because we, we, we've all been in rooms where it's like, oh, wow, this, this doesn't feel inviting. This doesn't feel hospitable, but do you feel like that needs to be designed? Like even within a city, maybe within a denomination or, or not even in the micro stand, standpoint of just team, a team on a Sunday morning. Do you feel like that unity needs to be designed or do you feel like there might be some proactive things that a leader could do to make sure it, it is there? Yeah, I mean, hey, this is such an easy step. I, I, I'm sure you know of Brandon Cormier. He's mm -hmm. in Colorado Springs. Seal he was Church. on the pod as well. Yeah, I, I, I just assume, <laughs> yeah, they're a young pastor, leader, speaker guy. Right. You've had him. Um, so right. Brandon, as you guys all know him. And, you know, I got to visit his church maybe, I feel like it was six weeks in. And I was so mm -hmm. amazed by the depth of culture and buy-in for a church that was six. You would have thought for sure this church was at least two to three years old. And I wow. loved, I mean, he he started one of, it was the transitional time in between one of the songs. And he just said, hey, I just want to, Sunday, I want us to like pray for what God's doing here in Colorado Springs. And 
he showed maybe three or four pictures of different churches and put the family, the past, the senior pastors up there and their family. Mm. So this is this church. This is some of you guys know him. Some of you guys have been to their church. We just want to pray right now for this city. Like we were called to this city and uh, we're not going to do this by ourselves. And that, that maturity is just, I think it's a great step. You're really discipling your people so that, I mean, because sometimes, again, like I said, the relationships are up here at the top and they actually are cool with each other. They know each other. They love each other. The congregation doesn't know, but for them to see, we don't only know them. We're going to spend time at our church praying for Mm -hmm. their church. I think that's a great discipleship step, but there's so many practical vehicles you can create. I'm, I'm really big on like, we all have values that we say we we care about, but we have to create vehicles to disciple mm-hmm. our people and and even to express those val- uh, values. So that I think was was a great vehicle that yeah. a church or a leader can do. What's well, that's so good? It's been so much fun here in your heart of of unity and someone we we say we all say this right. We, we're for the Capital C Church, but from our conversation, it seems like there's true weight behind your words when it comes to that. So I feel like this is a super special episode. Jumping into something that I think will be fun is transition. I, I, my wife and I went through a recent transition maybe a year ago. So this would be a new, and you guys, like you just moved, you have a lot yeah. of family transition, all that. So for, for somebody listening to this, let's really, the audience of this podcast, like you said, is a, is a young person. It's probably 18 to 22. They're maybe they just got out of high school or maybe just got out of college. They're excited about maybe jumping into the business world, maybe jumping into church or whatever. What what are some things that we need to be proactive, Grant, about transition? Like how how do we know when it's time? How do we know that man? Maybe it's not even time that we haven't even talked to our pastor yet. Like how do we how do we get to that step? Yeah, yeah. I I have a couple questions that I like to ask myself to know: Is this a healthy goodbye? Because mm-hmm. there are sometimes necessary endings, mm-hmm. and or is it impulse leaving? Like, am I just leaving? Because it's a cooler opportunity. It seems like more fun. I'm getting a little bored. Some people just like change or, but it, I, I liken a change and at least leaving or transitioning to climbing a ladder. For me, the analogy has really worked of, just like I said earlier with George Bailey, staying in a place for a long time to see the, the huge impact that can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like climbing a ladder. If I climb the ladder 25% up and then I'm a course, I'm like, man, the view's not that great. I thought it'd be greater. But I'm like, you're 25% up, but then you look, think you're going to be able to go way higher at some other ladder. You still got to start all over on that ladder. And I do think our generation can struggle with climbing a lot of ladders partially mm-hmm. and being disappointed by the church or their opportunities or life, even maybe frustrated with God. But it's like, no, it's, you just don't like that. It doesn't happen like that. Like you... Right have climbed a lot of partial ladders and the views are partially good, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want to see something beautiful. It's, it's the long distance, long commitment in the same direction, uh, as Eugene Peterson says. And so um, for me, I mean, just before I go into this, Josh, what, uh, well, you said you transitioned. What, what was that transition? Yeah, my wife and I lived, well, she lived in Omaha, Nebraska for her whole life. I lived there for five years. We were part of the uh, church for five years. And okay had a, probably a seven to eight month long transition. It was not like overnight. We were in really an executive pastor role overseeing our operations team and a lot of internal transition with the church. So our lead pastors transition out January 2021. 
Uh, mm-hmm. our, our downtown campus shut down the same exact week that our lead pastor shut, uh, like transition out. Yeah. So there was that transition and then there was an interim pastor, the, the onboarding of him and his wife as the lead pastor. So there was a lot of transition within our church and in the midst of that majority of our pastoral staff off the, the staff as well. We were, we we're really the last ones to do so, but that, that was your transition. So then there was a couple months of transitioning and moving across the country yeah. from from Central America, not the technical Midwest, but Central, like Pinpoint, Nebraska, into into a, a city on the West Coast. Obviously, there there's a lot of factors when it comes to that as well. Just being here for almost nine months now, uh, but but that was the transition. Okay, okay. Are you okay with me using you as somewhat of a test subject with asking yeah. you these questions? Let's do it. I love it. I mean, it. well, one, let's just, before we even get there, did you, do you feel like you have a generally <laughs> good relationship with that church? Yeah, yeah. I know you, there's yeah. seasons change and you get people get right. busy, but it's pretty good. It's not like. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I'll say that it, it could have been better, uh, but ev- anything could be better. Right. So yeah, right. Perfect. Yeah. We got, we got nothing to complain about. Um, we've certainly had our moments, but as of today, no, we're. We're so thankful for our last church, really the church where we learned how to be leaders, not just attending a church, but building it. Right. Yeah. And definitely it sounds like getting, cutting your teeth there. I don't know if about meeting your wife, maybe potentially, but even when you said five years, that's why I feel good about asking you. Cause I'm like, if you did five years in, in next gen years, that in in dog years or next gen years, (laughs) that's a long time, man. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. The average next gen person, I mean, is on the trajectory to have 14 jobs by the age of 40. And so they, they are leaving every one to two years. I think I saw a study that said more than half of young people at any given moment are thinking about the next job. Like they would be open to going to another job. So that's, it's just a very job hopping Mm-hmm. transitional what's next i mean it's it's the classic like non-committal generation because waiting to the last thing is there something else that could come up right uh, so here's the four questions of is it healthy goodbye so for you with um, omaha it's like did you do such a did you do such good work at that job that it may take several others to replace you that's mm-hmm. the good question that's like man that's a pretty great check mark of man right. they would have to really find a couple others maybe a person and a half to mm-hmm. replace the work that i was doing or will they realize how little effort you gave when someone else easily replaces you nice yeah no, that's great i mean it's one points to i think i feel like individuals do a really poor job of thinking about them doing a good job like thinking about my wife and i serving alongside of each other and going mm-hmm. man i think we actually did a great job and and not blaming other people for giving us affirmation, but knowing that, that God sees us and, and we, we saw the work we did. So absolutely. I mean, I feel like we did a great job. We led a, we led a team of, I think, around 250 volunteers. And Amazing. Knowing, knowing the couple who replaced us were some of our best friends. Yeah. So that's special in itself. But you no, know, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I my wife just transitioned, and mm-hmm. as you kind of mentioned from her job, she was there for four years, I believe. And she'll still do stuff around that team. She really likes, loves those that the team. Mm-hmm. They definitely made the experience so much better. And but I I know my my wife. I was just meeting with Noah, and now that my wife's freed up, she wants to give more time to to the church plant. And I just said, mm-hmm. man, I wish I was in your shoes, bro. When my wife wants to give <laughs> her time, she streamlines things. She moves them. Oh, She's yeah. just so detailed and administratively like 
it's not like an assistant it's like hey tell me where we're going okay i'm gonna mm-hmm. tell you all the things that we could do better to yes. get us there and give way better structures and systems mm. and organization to get there so and that's yeah it's just great it's a great sign when it's like they realize man it's gonna be hard to find someone else to replace you we might mm-hmm. even have to hire two people to replace you. yeah so the second question is will the culture and the people feel the lack of your presence like so will the culture be impacted they're like mm. oh man we miss this person like like we can tell though there's a void because they brought this type of energy positivity encouragement peace hey we're it's all right no matter even like the they could calm the storm type of whatever so many different people we we could add value in certain in different ways so will they the culture and the people feel the lack of your presence or will the culture and the people feel relief after you leave nice. that would be the second question i love that yeah, I mean, we we definitely have stayed in contact with our, we had four director couples in making sure that we're not like lording over them based on our transition, giving them the, the peace to be pastored by somebody else. We don't want to be the leeches, but no, we definitely feel like we we are missed in a healthy way. And even, again, some of the people are still, some of them were in our wedding. So yeah. 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 And, and again, I, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot with these, but also feel free to share your comments. I know you get to lead so many, speak to so many young people, mm-hmm. but um, I know these are, these are already great questions, by the way. And again, it's, it's, it's reassuring and great to hear questions that are positive, even self, uh, self retrospect and thinking rather than it's the A or B rather than, yeah, I feel as if a lot of the culture co- culture questions even within the church always tend to be man how can i think less of myself to make myself almost feel as if i'm making the wrong decision yeah or and again that i feel like that's just really healthy pastoring and and discipleship which i love yeah yeah i mean even jesus i mean in a way he he committed to the disciples three three years and right he's like all right you guys you guys got this and it seemed like from the beginning he's like hey you will do but greater mm-hmm. things um, yeah kind of goes into third question actually is are you leaving it better than you found it mm-hmm. or are you leaving everything in shambles yes now I, mean, I also want to acknowledge with yours you, you were in a unique situation because it sounds like you were just one of many changes that was yes, going on there um, was yeah what what was the indicator for us and we had a couple prompt i was actually a pastor in florida said this to me he said, Josh, do you feel like the things you're learning in this season, you're supposed to be the solution to, or you're supposed to learn and take it into the next season? For me, that was a really good conversation to have with obviously Lexi, my wife and our mm-hmm. pastors at the time was like, man, the, the things that we are currently working through as, as a, as a team, I feel as if I'm supposed to learn from them, but I don't know if I'm actually supposed to be the solution to them anymore. As in there's actually other people that are very much better fitting than I. And for us to leave, because we were so young, very rarely would you find a person leading the operations or even at the exec level at like 23 and 22. Like we were naive, we were passionate, but we knew we were giving up the thing that we loved the most, which was building the church within that, within that ecosystem. So no, I feel as if we, we left it better. We had a, we had a healthy transition. The couples that we, we led, loved, loved each other more, loved the church more. And it, it was a passion point for us to make sure that it wasn't about us, even within that the transition. I was like, man, if, if we truly do care about the, the Capital C Church, well, you guys will be fine and we will be fine because 
But yes, we're partnering with Jesus, but he's building his church. Like he's been building it way longer than I was alive and yeah. he will continue to do so with whoever is, is willing and able. So yeah, that, I, I, feel like, I feel like that's a great question because we've definitely been around people where it's the opposite or it's like, you're you're basically a, a janitor for the next nine months cleaning up their mess, but yeah, yeah, hopefully that's not maybe maybe someone will think different on this YouTube video. We'll get a lot of <laughs> nice spams per usual, but yeah, no, no, it's, it sounds like yeah, definitely a healthy goodbye. But I mean, you're not impulse leaving if you've been there for five years, and and no. I mean, the last question you don't even need to answer. I think we can just go from there. But it's a, kind of a, a culmination of it all. Just simply, will you be missed, or will they be glad you're gone? Uh, mm -hmm. For me personally, I was I started my nonprofit when I was like 24 years old, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe I was 23 actually. And I was just out of college, and I I brought like 15 of my friends to to be leaders with me and starting it. And it was way too many that they it was actually almost all equal. They were like me and then 14 <laughs> yeah. other people. And it's cause, I don't know, it, you know, it's hard to say. No, you're going to be under them and them. We all just kind of the way the nonprofit I, I started kind of it kind of blew up really quickly and so mm -hmm. we all felt like we were a part of it and it was a really cool time but it is hard as structure starts coming and i remember one of my closest closest friends literally yeah just one of my close friends and yeah it was hard because they there was a way they had an entitlement to me because mm -hmm. of how close they were that they would talk to me yep. talk about me even felt kind of a responsibility or role that they had to hold <sighs> me in check and and I think there's a there's a part of that that's true, but there was a part where they're like just making leading is already hard sometimes. Leading when you're trying to make it harder, of course, is really really hard. And so it was so hard for me to finally say, "Hey, I need to let this person go." Mm -hmm. I had a I had a leader tell me, "In the short run, you always want to be put the person before the vision. In the but in the long run, if they keep putting themselves before the vision, you got to put the vision before that person." Mm -hmm. And it yeah. really hit that point where I'm like, "It's impacting so many other people." And it was one of those moments where I was really sad because they also did bring so much to the table when it comes to joy and fun. And uh, I think that's what kept them around so much. They were so likable, but they were right. so not dependable. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and the likableness, I realized later, I was like, yeah, but it was also equivalently bringing drama too. If it mm -hmm. wasn't happy times, it was like dramatic times. Right. And it was it was my first time around 24 years old to see man the next week i thought what will this next week look like now that this person who was such a big part of this culture and brought so much mm -hmm. be like and it was where i was like wow actually i think everyone can tell they're missed but there is less drama so in yeah. a sense we're kind of glad that 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 change was made absolutely yeah i mean i've heard it i've heard it said and we we've actually had a, a couple episodes as we wrap up even on honor and what honor is what honor isn't talking about overdosed honor even chris Durso and i talked about how honor is medicine and if you have too much of it obviously that that's not good to have too much medication but you very much need it so that's it a good seems, analogy for it yeah i don't know who who came up with it definitely wasn't me i'm a, I'm a big credits guy something i don't <laughs> like kind of a quick tangent before you wrap up is when somebody says something and they totally didn't come up with it. It's like, dude, I heard that 14 times in, uh, in the past two years. It wasn't your yeah. idea. So give the credits, people. Just kidding. Well, Grant, <laughs> give us give us a last thought. Give us a last maybe recommendation or or piece of advice as we wrap up this week's episode. Yeah, I mean, we have talked a lot about commitment, seeing the results of a long time in the same direction. And 
and what happens maybe when you transition too soon mm -hmm. in I think probably one of the best stories, especially assuming the audience is kind of younger and leaders and people that listen to podcasts tend to be a little hungrier than, yeah. than the rest. I mean, you're, you're spending time not watching TV or TikToks, but trying to learn. And so I would say you're probably going to associate or be a little more aligned with, I think David is like the biblical example that makes a lot of sense to me of, mm -hmm. uh, he's got a couple different seasons and I think he does really, really well at being all in, in the season he was in, for example, it would be very hard to be anointed as king, especially when your dad didn't even believe in you and nor did your right. brothers. And and they anoint you as king and not to like put that in their face mm -hmm. and not to say, hey, I should be treated this way. And it'd be really hard also in my relationship with God to be like, wait, why do you anoint me as king? And then it didn't happen right away. Like, mm -hmm. But instead of him being pushed into the throne room to be the king, he's sent back to be a shepherd for who knows how long exactly. But uh, the next time it seems like he gets an objective to do, it's his dad telling him to go take food to his brothers. So mm -hmm. I think a lowly role is like, you're not even in the military. You're not, I mean, I don't think most people know for as big as the David and Goliath story is. I mean, I think it's probably one of the most known outside of stories outside of the cross, like that even unbelievers in all human history know the David and Goliath story. It's mm -hmm. Like it's such a big story. And right. the only reason David even got to fight Goliath was because he was all in in the season he was in and mm -hmm. just simply being obedient to bring food to his brothers. And if he missed that and, and he had warranted reasons to say, <laughs> as the king, I just I'm tired of doing these kind of yeah. these tasks. I, I mean, if anything, let me go be in the battle with my brothers, not do anything for my brothers. But he he did do it. And if you know the story, like his brothers who are even like, what are you doing here? And even they still didn't seem to believe in him. And I just think I really, I really respect him for being all in. And I've noticed just in human experience that some of the best leaders I know when they were young, they had these like all in seasons, no matter mm -hmm. if it was uh, a job like that had no leadership experience or no ministry is like, it just didn't seem like, how is this going to lead to this? Right. But I like to look at almost every job that I've had. And every season that I've had and try to think what, like my first job was at Marshall's. I worked there for two, two or three years is like, what did God teach me in the season of Marshall's mm -hmm. that I actually apply? If I really think about it, I apply to the leadership today. And there are things. What did I learn in the internship role that I had for a year here? And what did I learn? And you'll see a lot of these like roles that didn't have any like big titles and big responsibilities. I didn't get highlighted for doing them. But I think you could either waste those seasons or you can learn from those seasons. You can see the fruit of them later. So I, I'm my yeah. encouragement is just a all in is an ingredient of high capacity leaders in the long run. Mm. So great. So great. Well, thank you so much for being on Grant. Seriously, it's been so fun to chat the last 40 minutes and learn a little bit about inside of what you're thinking about, how you're processing your guys' last couple years of transitioning while still maintaining, obviously, a fantastic being a husband, a leader within within your guys' church, church plant. Love the Herons and love you guys so much. And we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you, Josh.